Hi, everyone. Just before we get going, I want to remind you that everything we talk about and discuss should not be considered as investment advice. The purpose of what we talk about on Catherine Murray Media and Markets on YouTube, as well as Catherine Murray in conversation with on my podcast, should be viewed as informational and entertainment purposes only. Please definitely do your own research, your own homework, and definitely consult an investment professional before making any investment decisions. And also to note, some of us might hold positions in some of the stocks uh, that we discuss. Ryan, great to be able to catch up with you. It's been uh, so many years that you and I have been talking and speaking, probably over a decade. And, uh, um, you know, so great to get your perspective. And also for our viewers, our listeners to know, I mean, you've been a chief market strategist for a number of years and then have just moved over the past number of years um, to running money for, for clients. So those clients, I think, get the benefit of actually having a chief strategist as you know, kind of their point person uh, for, from an advisor perspective. So um, kind of an interesting move and, and, and great perspective to have um, for your clients. Why, why don't you maybe kind of start with the top-down macro view uh, as you look at the world today? Well, we're pretty bold up. Uh, um, and that's kind of based on a, a number of factors. Number one is we're getting slowly getting control of COVID. Uh, we're hitting vaccination rates in developed countries north of 60%. I mean, Canada, boy, a really slow start out of the gate. Uh, but it was I was just blown away once they started getting the supply and uh, shots in arms. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I saw Toronto was at 60% overnight. And so uh, we're bumping up. We're getting closer to that herd immunity. So we're slowly getting control. Uh, yes, we're starting to see a little bit of a, a wave up of, of new COVID numbers, but hospitalizations, that's key, right? Because that drives policy. Those remain low. So as we get control of COVID a little bit, we're going to start coming out of our homes. You know, I don't know about you, but I've been locked in here for 18 months. I'm dying to go on vacation. I'm dying to go to a shopping mall. I'm dying to go for dinner with my wife. And I think cons consumer spending is going to explode. And so we basically see we got government spending full, uh, full blown, and now consumer spending is about to ramp up. When you look at uh, GDP estimates, the U.S. economy is projected to grow north of 6%. 6%. I had to go back to 1984 to find the U.S. economy growing north of 6 So one, the economy we think is about to really take off. Uh, if you start kind of connecting dots, that should then translate into corporate profits. Uh, we think corporate profits are set to rise uh, materially. Uh, just look, we're in the second quarter uh, S&P earnings. Uh, we're just about wrapping up. We're 100% year over year. Now, that's coming off a weak base, right? Because Q2 of last year was really in the heart of, of COVID. But if we look out of the next couple of quarters, we're still looking at earnings growth of over 30%. So I've got great economic growth. I've got great earnings growth. And I think that's going to continue into next year. Uh, tremendous amounts of stimulus. I mean, $19 trillion of total stimulus in the world. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, on the, finally, on the technical side, we've got the S&P in a beautiful uptrend making new highs. Uh, sure, there's a couple little things that uh, got me a little bit worried uh, short term. Number one, we haven't had really much of a correction. We had one in September of last year. So I think we are due. Uh, secondly, we are heading into September, October, right? Those tend to be weaker seasonal months as people return to the office, as traders come back to their turrets and start trading. And then lastly, I think the Fed's getting pretty darn close to announcing a tapering. 
Yeah. Just, yeah, that's, I, I was actually shocked. So uh, I think it was uh, Rosengreen, the, one of the Fed presidents just yesterday uh, is going to be suggesting the Fed to start tapering in September. I thought for sure the futures were going to be down this morning. Uh, but uh, I guess we're not paying too much attention. So I think when they start to taper, which could happen in September, coupled with weak seasonality, in that we're due, we could see a pullback. And we raise cash during the summer to take advantage of it. But when we look out six, nine, 12 months, uh, we're, uh, we're pretty darn bullish here at Turner Investments. So there's a lot to pick up on there. Um, and first and foremost, I think what gets talked about or, or when we see the market pull back or when we see, you know, really poor reaction to stellar earnings results, that's because people are concerned that we are, in fact, seeing peak corporate earnings, um, that, uh, that the economy is actually at a peak as well. So that, that's the bear case. Why, why do you disagree with that? Yeah, I actually wrote a blog post uh, probably about a month ago about this. There was a great out article out of the Globe and Mail, and that was the general premise that we're approaching peak of the economy or peak uh, momentum. And I agree with that, right? Look at the ISM manufacturing index. That's one of my key indicators. That got up into the low 60s, and that's now come off down to 55. Mm -hmm. uh, naturally, when you're coming out of the bottom, you're going to get that huge explosive growth, right? You're going to get big GDP growth. You're going to get that ISM shooting up. You're going to get big earnings growth. And so naturally that momentum is going to peak. Where I diverge with the bear camp is a moderation of growth doesn't mean the end of the cycle. This is the key point. So last year was the recession. Late last year, we started to get out of the recession. And so this year is the start of the recession. Recovery. Okay, we hit a recession. I believe we're starting a new expansion cycle. To me, this is no different than 09, 2010, no different than 2000. You take a year, uh, you, you heal, you start to recover. Now, we got a lot more stimulus thrown at us this time, and that's why we saw a quicker recovery. But nonetheless, we're starting a new expansion cycle. So if I'm using a baseball analogy, we're in the third inning of this ballgame. So yes, we're going to see a peak in that year-over-year -year earnings growth. We're going to see a peak in GDP growth. But then we go into a new phase, a, a lower growth phase, but still growing. So I push back on the peak earnings thesis. I do not think we're going to peak. Right now, consensus for the S&P is about 200 uh, for this year. And I see us uh, earnings making a new high next year. So long story short, yes, we're going to have a peak of momentum. But that's not a peak in the economy. We're going to continue to grow. We're going to continue to grow earnings. And then lastly, look at that, that business cycle. We're, we're in the early stages. If you just take the average, which is six to seven years of growth, if last year was the recession, that projects out to 2027 when we have to start getting worried about the next recession. So I, 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 yes, I agree we're peaking as far as uh, rate of change. But yeah. we are far from peaking in the stock market, in my view. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with that. And that, um, you know, it's not a consensus view, but you're hearing more about it, that, um, that this could be a very long business cycle, just given, uh, you know, the amount of liquidity and central bank stimulus that's been going on and, and potentially fiscal policy as well. Yeah. Um, but the one thing as well that, you know, we have to think about it, and, and you talked a little bit about this in terms of the potential of uh, Fed tapering. I mean, that I think is actually the biggest risk in part because 
of the uh, the amount of debt uh, that is in the United States, let alone around the world, and um, and the debt servicing costs. So it's almost as though they can't quite take the punch bowl away or they can't quite uh, raise rates. Um, isn't that a huge risk or no? Yeah, the, the Fed and all central bankers, boy, do they have a tough job right now because we, we still have an economy that's healing, right? We are still below. We have not, uh, we have not recovered all of the jobs, about 70, 80% of the jobs that have lost so we're still, you know, 20%, let's call it, of jobs of, of people unemployed. So there's still slack in the, in the economy. So therefore, they need more stimulus uh, or they need continued help. But on the other side, what are we seeing? We're seeing inflation, right? CPI in the U.S. is now running at 4 or 5%. And so they've got these kind of competing forces. You've got still uh, slack in the economy, still high, relatively high on unemployment. You're running about 6% in the U.S., Yet you've got these other positives. So how do you how do you um, you know uh, deal with you're almost on a tightrope, mm. and 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 so now and look what happened in 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 uh, under Bernanke when you had that Fed taper. So he comes out, he announces that the Fed's going to announce uh, a reduction of bond buying. What happened? Immediately the stock market sold up. So I'm a strong believer that a big uh, support for the stock market and the reason we have recovered so much has been the stimulus. So if we're now cutting the stimulus, uh, right now they're doing $120 billion a month of bond buying. Let's say in September, they say we're going to go $60 billion. Well, that's got to have a negative effect on the market. Mm -hmm. um, so what I think you could have is you could have a quick knee-jerk reaction. Maybe you have an S&P that pulls off 5 6 7%, uh, but back up. Why are they doing it? They're doing it because the economy is recovering. They're doing it because COVID's getting controlled now. They're doing it because the outlook looks good. So that's where I diverge on the bears is perfect. Is, is, is we're in phase one, which is tons of stimulus. The Fed's going to now start tapering off and slowly getting us off that. You could get a small uh, pullback. But then we transition into uh, phase two of this expansion cycle, slower but still uh, positive growth more job growth, more spending, and hence why I'm still bullish. So you're right, short term, you expect some volatility come September, October, but I view that as a buying opportunity and, and we're well positioned because we raised about three, 4% of cash uh, over the last month in our client accounts. And we'll just put that to work on any uh, dip. Mm, okay. And, and to be clear though, um, when you say, you know, we're seeing improvements as it relates to COVID vaccinations, that's in Canada. Um, you know, there is a real concern, of course, of what's going on in the United States. It's almost as though there's going to be a permanent group of people that do not want to and or believe in getting vaccinated. So um, you, I'm, I'm assuming you're obviously speaking about Canada when you talk about the improvements. You did mention that. Um, but, but if you look at the United States and then even the lack of access to vaccines around the world, what does that mean to you from really when you put your strategist hat on as it relates to asset allocation, geographic location? So, so there, I would say, first point I would say is, is to uh, separate the developed versus kind of emerging markets. Many of the developed countries, Great Britain, look at the success that they've had there, Israel, parts of Europe, you're getting into that 60, 70%. So you've got the, the, the wealthier developed countries making a lot of great strides, and you're seeing those numbers come down. Uh, in contrast, the, the poor emerging markets, right, Africa, South America, 
Uh, you know, I just read an article, it was a couple of weeks ago, that Peru got its first shipment about a month ago uh, of, of the vaccine. I mean, it's, it's, uh, this is the world we live in, money talks, unfortunately. And so you're right, these, these uh, emerging market economies, uh, they are seeing much lower rates. And so it's not gonna, I'm not saying it's gonna be eradicated overnight. We're gonna be left with this for a while. I think it's gonna change from a, a pandemic into end, endemic, where it's still in our society, it's still around, but it's more controllable. So that'd be the first point. But then when you look at the US, yeah, that makes me a little nervous. You had the huge vaccination uh, uptake initially, and now they've started to plateau around the 60%. And that is making me nervous because uh, uh, initially, uh, many of the uh, uh, specialists and the doctors in this field were saying 60, 70% to reach herd immunity. Well, I just saw that Dr. Tan said we may need to get to 80. Well, I don't think the US gets to 80 because vaccines have become so political. It's, it's in my opinion, it's ridiculous. This is a safe vaccine, highly effective. Look, every, um, uh, the people are now in the hospitals, 99.9% .9 of the people in the hospitals in Paso Wing are unvaccinated. This works, but you're yeah. right. I'm real worried about what's happening in the US. Uh, hopefully, uh, you know, the governments are making new strides. They're reaching out to Facebook. They're doing new initiatives. Maybe they can get it back up to that 70. But you're right. That's a risk. Uh, uh, I think you ask a really, you, you make a, or ask a good question, or make a good point, which there's still risk to my outlook. Mm. The biggest risk is the COVID. It's, we have not uh, dealt with this entirely. Uh, does it mutate? Uh, does the vaccine become less effective against the, the new variant that may arise? So we haven't fully addressed that. So that's definitely a risk. And then the other big risk for me is, is the inflation. And mm. if inflation is more, uh, longer term and not transitory, what's going to happen? The Fed's going to have to start hiking rates. Now you've got global central banks tightening. That's your second key risk. But yeah, it's something we've got to monitor. But mm -hmm. you know, uh, we've had this fourth wave. I, I, uh, the key is hospitalizations remain low. And so I'm taking a glass half full kind of view when, uh, with respect to COVID right now. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, just staying on debts and, and government, um, I know you're a little bit focused as well on, on Trudeau and the deficit here in Canada. Um, talk to us a little bit about that and, and what people really need to understand about it. I mean, certainly in the beginning of COVID, you know, there's a huge case obviously to be made to, to increase the debts, but mind you, they were doing that before COVID as well. Um, so what kind of position does that put Canada in and Canadians and therefore how much exposure from an investment perspective you want in Canada? Yeah, well, it's definitely worrying. I, I'm a deficit hawk, okay? Uh, so my founding partner, uh, Garth Turner, he's a strong C conservative. I'm a little bit left of him. I'm, I've got some liberal views on some social issues, but one view, one area where I'm quite conservative is on the fiscal side. So we all know the numbers, $350 billion deficit last year. And to your point, much of that was needed. I completely supported helping our small businesses. I completely supported the SERP. Uh, initially, people needed help. Uh, at the end of the day, the government said, you can't operate your business. As a dry cleaner, you can't open your business. As a bar, you can't uh, make food for people and, and have people in. So I think the government needed to help in, step in. My issue is the level of spending. There was a great chart that I came across which showed the amount of government spending last year uh, between Canada and all the other G20 countries. Canada was the highest. 
So yes, everybody spent a lot of money. We spent the most as a percentage of GDP. So now we're, our debt uh, uh, has doubled. We were about 600, $650 billion when Trudeau took office. To your point, he had a bunch of deficits before, which I did not like. And now you add on this 350, we're at 1.1 trillion. 1.1 trillion, that's massive. Now, you know, when you see those numbers, they're a big number, you always have to look at relative to GDP, right? You have to look at, whenever you look debt, it's relative to my income, relative to what supports that debt. And so our debt to GDP ratio is roughly 50%, not too bad. But what happens if Trudeau keeps the deficits and it keeps going up and our economy stagnates? Then we start getting to 60, 65%. That becomes worrisome. Now we're back in the 1990s level. Okay. So what my uh, beef with this debt in the mentality right now out of our current federal government is interest rates are cheap, Ryan. We would be foolish not to take out debt at 1% and make these investments. The problem with that is the debt doesn't just go away when it matures, it gets rolled over. And so what happens if we have inflation and interest rates go to four to 5%? So I just, I did a blog post on this and I just did some simple math. Um, uh, basically at 1%, I've got the numbers here, your interest cost is about 15 billion, not bad. If it goes to 4%, which I'm not saying it will, but if it does, goes to 60. And so now that starts crowding out more in, uh, spending, that starts crowding out uh, money being spent on hospitals and paying our doctors and our firemen and everything else, or it results in taxes. Uh, I think at the end of the day, taxes are going up. Uh, we're, you know, here we have a marginal tax rate for the highest income earner at 54, it could go up more. What about a wealth tax? So uh, I just think the government is taking a huge gamble that interest rates will stay low forever. And they're basically gambling our future on that. And I'm very concerned about that. Hmm. Now, just to kind of tie it in from an investment standpoint, uh, just because we have high debt, it doesn't mean we should avoid Canada. Number one is everybody has debt. Italy's debt to GDP ratio is 150, Japan's 220. The US has a higher debt to GDP ratio than us when you look at federal debt. So one, we're, we're a world's awash of debt. Point two is we're getting more bullish on commodities. Uh, commodities have been in a funk for five to 10 years. And we think given our growth expectations, that's more demand. Uh, we see a weaker dollar, US dollar. Uh, you see rising inflation. Those are good uh, conditions for commodities. So we're getting more bullish on commodities. And so I'm actually getting more constructive on the TSX uh, than I have in a while. It's cheap. It's got good leverage to, to global growth. If commodities continue to run, that's good for us. The one negative we have is that debt, but that debt's a smaller issue. Um, and so we're still bullish on the TSX. And so it's a concern about the debt but I would not drive uh, our investment strategy solely on that metric. Got it. Um, let's actually talk a little bit more then about um, how you invest for your clients. And I think this is interesting, you know, when I got your, your notes that you don't buy any stocks, you do buy ETFs. And when I looked at some of the ETFs that you own, um, many of them I'm not familiar with. And so, you know, when you look at buying it, like there, you know, there's the big ones that we all know of and, and some of these, maybe I know the, the backer of them, but, but they don't stand out to me um, when I look at the ticker. So talk to us a little bit about how you even go about choosing the ETFs that you want to purchase. That's important. Okay. I always think you have to have liquidity and you want a lot of flow, but I don't know if these have that. 
that well these definitely have that and that's a huge factor in that so first let me back up so let me uh, kind of quickly summarize how we manage money here at turner investments so we are not huge risk takers uh, we are trying to get our clients a consistent rate of return we target about seven percent and have achieved that after fee and what we do is we uh, implement a balanced portfolio so your typical 60 40. we're not trying to hit home runs singles and doubles so when we start with the 60 40 only invest in, in ETFs. We don't buy stocks. We find they're too risky. What have one that blows up? It can really impact performance. And we don't uh, invest in mutual funds. There, the fees are just too high. So we do invest in very liquid, big ETFs. So the first point is, I do the strategy. What's our outlook? Are we conservative? Are we cautious? Or are we bullish on the outlook? And that's the kind of starting place. Uh, just before COVID hit, we were very defensive because I was worried about a recession. So we had in um, ETFs like low volatility. We were overweight healthcare. We were overweight high quality. I did a great investment just in November before COVID hit. Uh, uh, high quality investments do the best. So when COVID hit, we were pretty defensive. And yes, our portfolio declined. We were down about 14, 15% in our balanced. Equities were down north of 30, okay? So, so first you do the macro, then you start figuring out if you're bullish or you're uh, cautious, uh, and then you get to the geographics. Right now, we're overweight the U.S. That's our favored market. So you kind of start doing the big picture, and then you start slotting in the ETFs. Now, to your to your kind of question and point, we have uh, we have the spiders SPY, uh, we have ZCN that tracks the TSX. That's a BMO low cost ETF. So we have huge, uh, very uh, uh, big liquid ETFs. Then what we do is we start to get, we overlay some, some um, uh, thematic. Uh, so one uh, investment that we did invested in July of last year was we added back US small cap. So uh, that one we did was uh, uh, XSU. So that's the iShares Russell 2000 Canadian hedged. So you, you're right. You may not know that ticker, but you know the Russell 2000. Right. So I thought that one because the Canadian dollar at the point at that time was in the tank. I didn't want to buy US dollars um, at that point. So I bought a Canadian hedged version and that's up 50%. Wow. And so we are, and that was just since July. So we are now overweight US small cap. Uh, our other um, interesting idea right now is we're quite bullish on biotech stocks. So FBT, that's one of the biggest uh, US biotech ETFs, first trust. Um, and we are bullish on biotech, partly because of the vaccines. Uh, two of the biggest holdings in FBT are Moderna. Moderna on a tear right now. Now we're talking about booster shots. Uh, Moderna looks really good. You also have biotech. It's called BioNTech. That's the one that fi uh, partnered up with Pfizer. So 10% of that is in the big vaccine companies. So uh, biotech is a higher growth sector. This ETF has returned about 15% annually over the long term. Uh, we're bullish on the healthcare sector. Uh, and then we like the biotech specifically because you get that vaccine bump. Um, so while they may not be easily recognizable ETFs like your spider and stuff like that, these are big, uh, liquid, lower cost ETFs. So those are a couple ideas that we like right now. And then also... Um... Oh, I hope there's not a 
Okay, this recording sounds okay. Um, I, I'm also curious as well, there's a high quality stock ETF, FCIQ, yeah. which is interesting because a lot of people always say, what's a high quality stock, which one should I buy? But you know, to have an ETF that kind of represents that is, is not a bad way to go about it. Yeah, so what this is, this was, a, uh, this was that ETF I mentioned earlier that we bought a couple of Novembers ago. So uh, what's the thesis here? So I've done all the analysis. I've done all the number crunching. What I've done is you look at these different uh, styles, right? You have a dividend style, you have a beta style, you have high quality and different styles outperform in different parts of the cycle. So high quality stock. So how do you define high quality? I define it as companies that consistently grow earnings in good and bad times. You know, you think of a Google, you think of a, an Apple. Uh, these are not uh, an energy company, which goes from making a billion dollars to then losing money in a quarter. These are consistent earnings growers. And so what we did was we added that in uh, November, just before COVID, because I was getting worried about a recession. I know that high quality stocks do the best in a downturn. Well, that ETF, FCIQ, which is international high quality, uh, was up 26% last year. The TSX was up two, and we, wow. had a six, we had a 6% weighted. So we had a huge rally, and I sold half of it. One of my favorite things in the world is to ring that register and lock in profits for clients, but I let the other half go. So the part of the thinking was a bit short-term of why I cut it in half is that high quality tends to underperform early cycle. So that's exactly what we saw in the beginning of this year. There was a rotation out of high quality and into junk, into uh, companies that were highly leveraged. And so now we're, so I kind of sold it right near the top, got great timing, but I kept the other 3% because high quality over the long haul outperforms. And now what's happening? We're getting now that rotation back into high quality. And so I really like this ETF. It's done very well for us. And, and I think this could be an above average uh, returner. I just really like that high quality, uh, you know, filter on this ETF. Um, could you buy it today? I would, yeah. yeah. I, I would be buying it today. Uh, you know, I took a quick look at it on the chart. So on a real short-term basis, it's had a huge rally. The, it's currently technically overbought, as is most of the market. Yeah. So I would love to get a little down day and, and buy a, into a, a little bit of weakness because of the overbought technical condition. But this is a this is a long term. Uh, I could see this doing, uh, you know, north of 10 percent annually, uh, you know, over the next two, three, four years. So this is a, this is one I think's got some long term because uh, I like that long term high quality outperformance. You, you, you can uh, a lot of research shows that high quality companies over the long haul uh, outperform. So, yeah, this has still got a lot of juice left in it. Okay, and just so our viewers understand, that's FCIQ. Yeah, so Frank Charlie India uh, Quincy. Yeah, okay. Fidelity is called Fidelity International High Quality, a, a relatively newer ETF, oh. uh, but the assets uh, are growing uh, pretty big. And I think, given the performance from last year, uh, I don't know. Maybe I almost think that thing deserved a, an award last year because it did so well. Hmm, interesting. Um, and also just to take a look at um, bank loans, a lot of people have been getting into the bank loan market, mostly on the private equity side, but obviously now it's available to retail clients and everybody's just searching for yield. Um, sometimes you can go too far up the risk curve. That's a big risk to me as I think about different loans. Um, but what, what do you think? Yeah, so here was a, another good timing on our end. We bought this in July of last year. 
And so the premise was a couple of key points. So number one, because we were still in the middle of this recession, uh, risk off, uh, the bank loans had gotten down to 90 cents. The average bank loan in this uh, portfolio ETF that we bought got down to 90 cents on the dollar. And so I've been tracking this ETF for years. And so I went to my partners, Doug and Garth, and I said, hey, guys, I don't know when we get out of recession, but when we do, these loans will go back to par. Is it two years? Is it five years? I, that I don't know. But these will go back to par as we uh, get into that next expansion cycle. So that implied capital appreciation. And so one, I saw value there. Uh, by the way, that thesis has completely played out. Now the average loan in that portfolio is at 97 cents. So our clients are now up 5% on a bond, basically bond ETF. Um, and I think there's more tightness. I think there's more um, uh, appreciation in the prices. So I still, I still see more capital appreciation. Point two, to your point, there's, uh, uh, you know, when governments are yielding one, one and a quarter, search for yield. These are yielding about four or five percent. So we're getting a nice yield pickup. And lastly, um, I was connecting dots. And I was saying, if we get that big economic growth uh, and commodities do well and all the money printing, then inflation definitely should go up. And that's it. That's playing out right now. And so I like bank loans because they're floating. They're like your line of credit. And so if we do get more structural inflation, if it's not transitory and we see inflation continue to ramp up, what's going to happen? Fed's going to have to reverse course and start hiking. Bank of Canada hiking. That means we get higher interest payments. It's a hedge on inflation. Mm -hmm. So last year we had a, a big kind of meeting with the partners and we really kind of thought this through. We want to make sure we have some inflation hedges. And that's one of the inflation hedges we have in the portfolio. Every client should have some fixed income with an inflation hedge component, whether that be preferred shares or things like bank loans. And, and what's the best way to go about getting the bank loans in a portfolio? Yeah, so we looked at a number of them. Uh, the one that we have is the McKenzie floating rate uh, 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 bank loan ETF. The ticker is MFT, uh, Michael Fox, uh, Fox uh, mm. Tony, uh, okay. MFT. Uh, so again, it's yielding about four and a half right now. The bank loans are still trading on a discount, and this is an inflation hedge. So we like it. Now, we'll, we'll get off this position when we start to get worried that the economy is starting to peak. When this cycle is, is when we think it's long in the tooth and we're getting closer to recession, then we'll punt this and we'll look to go uh, down on the risk side. So we'll increase our governments and things like that. But for right now, given our bullish outlook, the support of the Fed, um, all of these factors that we've discussed, you've got to have some bank loans, uh, high yield debt, something like that. I think four or five percent of your portfolio right now, um, um, given the low interest rates, makes sense. Okay. Um, Ryan, these have been great ideas um, and we have to leave it there. But uh, it's amazing how quickly the time goes. And I love the longer format that we can do this in. So thank you. And thanks for the ideas. And, you know, it's, again, it, it's pretty amazing and great that your clients do get your background as a strategist. That's pretty yeah, lucky. It's, it's <laughs> a unique, yeah, it's a unique feature of our practice. You know, I'm not the typical financial advisor. I do come at it with a much more kind of nerdy analytical thing. Uh, but I think the other thing where, you know, is being able to take these kind of complex arcane concepts and just, uh, be able not to dumb it down, but to be able to simplify so our clients can understand. And so, yeah, I think they benefit from 
uh, kind of my unique experience. And uh, so I appreciate that. And, and this has been great. I, I can't believe how quickly the time's gone by. This has been fun. I know. It's amazing. Um, it has been fun. Ryan, thank you so much. And uh, we'll see you again soon. And we'll do it again soon. Thank you. Appreciate it. Okay, thanks.